as we go. Well, we've been in this sermon series talking about the heroes of faith, and we've talked uh, about Noah, and we've talked about some guy named Moses, and today we're going to talk about some guy named Samson. Now, in the end, he becomes the hero, and he, he kills the Philistines. But I got to tell you something. He was one of those really, really paradoxical heroes. I'm not sure he's not more of a bad guy than a good guy because of his struggles with being faithful to God. And we're going to see that as we dive into it. So in Hebrews 11, you'll find a list of so many different heroes of the faith. And in this Heroes of Faith series, we, we're only going to cover six. And there's so many, many, many more in the Bible. I hope it, it will be a catalyst for you to want to study so many other heroes of the faith. So today, as we look at Samson, he was the last judge God sent to his people, to the Israelites. Now, the term judge is really important. When I hear the word judge, as you would hear the word judge, in our environment, in our current era of time, we think judicial. Okay? That's not how this word is used at this time in this era. It's referring to, a synonym would be, a great deliverer. The guy who's going to fight the battles. He's the guy who's going to lead the charge. That's a deliverer. That's a judge. And so he did not say, okay, you come to me and like, like uh, Solomon, okay, who, whose baby does it belong to? No, 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 no. That's, that's, not, that's not judges. That's not him. It's not the other ones who were judges before him. So he is a strong man. Yet he couldn't conquer himself. He had a massive weakness in his character. He was a man who had become physically, he had to become physically blind so that he could truly see and find his faith. It's interesting that Samson's name actually means sunny or bright. And yet, in the end, he ended up in the darkness and blinded by the very enemy he was supposed to conquer as a judge, as a deliverer of Israel. See, many times when God decides to do something great in his world, it will begin with the story of a baby. And that's what we find here. The story of Samson begins with the story of a baby. As it was with Abraham and Sarah, they had no children. They were long past childbearing and God gave them Isaac, as it was with, with baby Moses, and God used to deliver the Hebrews. And God gave baby Samuel to Hannah, and obviously he became the great prophet. And God gave baby John the baptizer, who would prepare the way for the Messiah, who was the baby Jesus. And so we find that God is going to do something great with a baby named Samson. His mom and dad couldn't have any children, didn't know what was going on, and an angel comes and does this mighty thing and tells them that they're going to have a baby. Babies are fragile, but God uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. And the secret of Samson's great strength was that he had a Nazarite vow. 
His hair was never cut. He wasn't to touch um, dead bodies of any kind. And that hair being not cut was not the source of his strength. It was the source of his obedience to the vow, which was the source of the Holy Spirit that gave him his strength. And according to Hebrews 11.32, which we're not going to read, Samson was a man of faith, but he certainly wasn't a faithful man. He wasn't faithful to his parents and to their teachings. He wasn't faithful to his Nazarite vows, and he wasn't faithful to the laws of God. So let's look at a little bit of this background. The Israelites were God's chosen people, and for years they had served God alone, but they had become complacent. The Philistines literally had absorbed the Israelites into their culture, and now there was almost no distinction between being an Israelite versus being a Philistine. And the Philistines refused to worship Jehovah. When the Philistines worshipped their own idols, the sun gods, their sex gods, they could care less about Jehovah, the one true God. For 40 years, the Israelites had lived with the Philistines' culture, and God was ready to move them out of their complacency. A man named Manoah and his wife, we don't know her name, were faithful to God. And this couple were unable to conceive. And one day, isn't that interesting? One day. You need to catch that. There are times as you're just doing the same thing, you're being faithful to God, you're worshiping Him, you're just serving Him, you're giving your time, your talent, your treasure to God, and then you're just being faithful in your faith, and all of a sudden, one day comes. You don't know when one day is going to come. It's like any other ordinary day, and then all of a sudden it becomes the one day. The one day, and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appears. Many scholars believe it's actually Jesus. One day an angel appeared to them and told them that they would conceive. And the angel told them that they were going to give birth to a son, and he would be a Nazarite. Now the term Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word meaning separated or dedicated to. So their child Samson would be dedicated to the Lord. In those days people take Nazarite vows for typically a, a season, a period of time. But Samson's was for the duration of his life. This was big. Samson was to live his life as one who had been dedicated to the Lord. And we pick up on this story in Judges chapter 14, 1 through 4. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Now guys, you know what that means. Hello. Woo! She was attractive. When he returned home, he told his mother, his father and mother. Now, he's only seen her, but he's got his whole life planned out now. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. Now, throughout scriptures up to this point, it's been very clear, you're not to marry the Philistine women. We're not to do that. God's very clear. And he's a judge. 
He's a leader. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected because they're faithful to God. Isn't there even one woman in the tribe among all the Israelites you could marry, they asked? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. I know he said it that way. His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. Samson had no business marrying a Philistine. The Philistine did not, the Philistines didn't worship God, and this woman was a Philistine who didn't worship Jehovah either. But she was cute. And at that time, that's all that mattered to Samson. His lust took over. This story continues. Now we're in Judges 14. Guys, there's so much scripture. I'm taking what could be a six-week series, and I'm trying to condense it into one sermon. So help me. Get through this. Be praying for me. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Wow. All the other judges never talk about how God uniquely blessed and gave the Spirit of God to you. Very unique. It was very different than how it was with the other judges. And he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. I want him on my football team. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. Scholars believe the reason why he didn't say this is because he knew his father and mother were such godly people, they would have given glory to God for the miracle of taking on a lion. And he also doesn't tell them about the honey, again, because they probably would have given credit to God. And he liked that for himself. But he didn't tell his father and mother about it. Verse 7, when Samson arrived at Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. I don't know why Samson didn't tell his parents. But I think there was a turning point there. When Samson, um, later we find through those scriptures, he goes back to the dead carcass, which is a violation of his Nazarite vows he goes to a dead carcass and not only does he touch it what he's not supposed to do but then he goes in and grabs the honey because the beehive is now inside the carcass of the of the dead lion and he grabs the honey and he eats it and then gives it to his parents again doesn't tell them that that is violating his vows he wasn't supposed to eat grapes or drink alcohol so now it's time for the wedding and at the wedding feast Samson comes up with a riddle for the Philistines to solve now it's important to note he shows up to a wedding and he has no bridegrooms with him 
And so the father-in-law gives him 30 uh, grooms, excuse me, groomsmen. And so he gives him 30 groomsmen. Now, some scholars say something I think is pretty interesting. They knew he was so unpredictable and how strong he was that they had those guys there in case this was a ploy and really going to turn into attack. He would have 30 men there, security guards, to get on top of, of Samson. So, so there they are. And I think the tension might have been kind of really uh, thick. Because all of a sudden, he just decides he's going to uh, give a riddle to kind of liven up the party. And as he does that, he uses that which was sin in his life and uses it as a joke in this riddle. Sin is never to be something we laugh at. Never. So he says this riddle. Verse 14, chapter 14. So he said, out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And three days later, they were still trying to figure it out. You see, here was the bet that went along with the riddle. Hey, guys, I'll tell you what. There's 30 of you. If you can answer my riddle, I'll give you 60 garments, two for each of you. In other words, I'll get two sets of garments for all 30 of you. It's a, a total of 60. But if I win and you can't answer my riddle, then you guys have to give me 30 sets or, or a total of 60 garments for myself. Now, this is expensive stuff. And they said, all right, bring it on. 30 versus 1. Well, the, they didn't go really well because the Philistines, what, you brought us to the wedding to embarrass us and make a mockery out of us? So they went to his wife-to-be and said, listen, you are going to find out the secret to this riddle. So she goes around and gets the big tears and, oh, you won't tell me the riddle. And just, just crying, throwing a fit, nagging him, nagging. Till finally he says the secret. And now the secret is brought to the 30 guys. The 30 guys now give the answer. And this doesn't make him very happy. Verse 15, 16. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to explain the riddle to us, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. That would get my attention. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, You don't love me. You hate me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even given the answer to my father or mother, he replied. Why should I tell you? Now, the Philistines were ruthless. And they had every intention of killing this woman and her family if she didn't get the answer. So she continued to nag. 16. So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, You don't love me. You hate me. You have given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even given the answer to my father or mother, he replied. Why should I tell you? So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. At last, on the seventh day, 
She just wore him out. He told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. Then she explained the riddle to the young men. So before the sun set of the seventh day, the men of the town came to Samson with their answer. What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And Samson replied, uh, here's this one. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved the riddle. What? How many ladies would like to be referred to as a heifer? <laughs> this is your new wife here, buddy. And he calls her a heifer. Man, you definitely need to learn the love languages. <laughs> if you didn't plow with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved. This is what that phrase simply means. You guys could not have done what you did if you hadn't broken the rules. Because heifers were not used for plowing. Since the guests had fouled up the rules, had determined they were going to make up new terms of agreement, they were going to make up a new rule book, technically Samson could have refused to, praise the, to, play, to pay the price. But he knew something. He must have heard. It's not confirmed, but it seems pretty on th the way she was nagging him. He probably figured out that if he didn't bring in all of the clothes, because he didn't have to, they broke the rules, they would go after his wife and that family. So he went a long distance away, killed 30 guys, and got the 60 garments and brought them back. And then got mad and went back home to live with mama and daddy. And after a long period of time, he decided to go get the wife. Now it gets a little complicated. Because the wife is now married to his best man. Because daddy gave the wife to the best man of Samson while he was angry and took off. This just gets worse. Verse 19 and 20, then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed 30 men, took their belongings, gave their clothes to the men who had solved the riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened, and he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. You just can't make this stuff up. The spirit of God came upon Samson, and he killed 30 Philistines from that other city. Why? Because he didn't want that word to get back to where he was going when he gave the 60 garments. He wanted to be out of town before they found out what he had done. But he loved this woman, or so he thought. So now we pick up in chapter 15. And he is coming back for the bride, and this is what the father says. Verse 2, I truly thought you must hate her. Her, fa her father explained. So I gave her a marriage to your best man. But look, your young her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. Daddies, don't do that to your kids. Right? Marry her instead. Samson said, this time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines. Woo, he gets upset. Scripture says that he goes. Most likely he got some people to help him. But he gathered 
300 foxes. The correct term is actually jackals. The thing about it is foxes are solitary creatures. They don't go in packs. Jackals do. They go in packs. And the idea there is they got the two jackals, grabbed their tails, they tied them together with a stick with a torch, and then when they would light the torch and send them, well, the jackals would run around into their fields, but they wouldn't try to run to their solitary hole or den where they hide. Because these jackals would all be just be squirming in the same area because... Well, because they're, they're a herd animal. They, they go in groups. So, we pick up here in, in uh, Judges 15, verse 11. So, 3,000 men of Judah went down because he totally destroyed their fields. They were so angry. The Philistines are now coming down to get Samson. Samson's hiding out in a cave after the big fire. And now, all of a sudden, here come his own people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, there's 3,000 of them to get Samson and to take him to the Philistines. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to Samson at the cave in the rock of Etam. They said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistine, Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. Can you not see the defiance in Samson? defiant but the men of judah told him we have come to tie you up and hand you over to the philistines all right samson said but promise that you won't kill me yourselves we will only tie you up and hand you over to the philistines they replied we won't kill you so they tied him up with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock as samson arrived in Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph. But the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. And he snapped the ropes. His arms snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax. And they fell from his wrists. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. So he goes down, he sees the jawbone, probably breaks it in half, and now he has two weapons. He picked it up and he killed 1,000 Philistines with it. Wow. His own people tried to turn him over to the oppressors. That's how complacent the Israelites had become. They, they were comfortable with being like they were when they were in Egypt and being slaves by an oppressor. They had forgotten they were God's chosen people. Instead, we're going to take God's great gift to us and we're going to use him as, as, as hey, here's our, see, we're, can you receive us now? Here, oppressors, take Samson, our only great weapon. Our only great leader. We want to be nice. In verse 20, which we don't have, where I'm not going to read, but it tells us that he judged for another 20 years. And as we go on, we're not sure whether it's during these 20 years or after the 20 years that chapter 16 comes out of 
out of uh, r- lack of room on your notes, the rest will probably be on the, on the screen, but they won't be on your, on your handouts, folks. Judges 16, verse 1 says, One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Now, this guy's just a piece of work. Um, It's not like he needed to to go to Gaza to, to find a prostitute. There were prostitutes probably within his own neighborhood. But while he was there, he saw the Philistine culture, and it enticed him. And he reached out. This is not Delilah. We're not even to Delilah yet. In verse 3, it demonstrates his supernatural strength. And so while he's, with, he's, he's about to get attacked, and he, in the middle of the night, instead of waiting till the morning, because they were going to get him at the crack of dawn, he wakes up in the midnight, and he goes out, and he literally takes the city gates. The city gates were the most, like, like a powerful statement to the world how great we are as a city. Huge, thick doors. He takes them both, including the posts. And carries them to a far distance place called Hebron and dumps them there on top of the hill. Incredible feat of power. Now we get into verses 10 through 20. Now, again, some time has passed and now comes the infamous Delilah. And Samson fell in love with her or in lust with her. She is from the valley of Osorek. And some scholars suggest that Delilah probably could have been a pagan um, prostitute for the temple. But we don't think that he could have actually been living with her without being married because he was there every single day. And because of that, Delilah is approached by some of the Philistine leaders and told to obtain The secret of Samson's strength. Here we go again, all these secrets, and you're not supposed to say anything. So while this is happening, it goes back and forth, back and forth. And you begin to see just how narcissistic Samson has become. He's killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He's done the jackals, 300 jackals, and burning of that. Kill 30 other guys. I mean, he, he just has to have this complex that I'm invincible. And so we begin with, well, if it's ropes or if it's, it's the bow line, it just goes on and on and on. But on the fourth time, Delilah keeps saying, what's the secret? What's the secret? Because if you don't tell me the secret, what, what Samson doesn't know is that the Philistine leaders have approached her and said, listen, if you do what we want, we're going to give you all of this money, large sums of money. Kind of like Judas, right? And there's 1,100 shekels we're going to give you each. All you got to do is find out the secret to his power, to his strength. So he doesn't know this. And she keeps nagging him, crying and nagging. And every time he handles a situation, she goes, in the chamber behind, they would all come out, the Philistines, and all of a sudden the there he is, and he's like, oh, the Philistines are upon you, Delilah would say. And he'd break the strands that bound him and beat them all up. What's he doing? Oh, then if you braid my hair. Now he's getting closer to what's really going on. And again, 
he fights them all off. But I think something happened on the last one. He finally gave the secret, my hair has never been cut. It is tied to my Nazarite vow to God. And they get, he falls asleep and they go to shave his head. I'm sorry, I struggle with this one. If somebody was to come into my bed while I'm asleep and come with a razor to try to shave my head, I'm going to wake up. How about you? I, I, and I might be wrong in this, but I believe what the Lord has shown me is that he was so arrogant that he was such a complete narcissist that he had gotten to the point that he didn't need his Nazarite vow and his obedience to God, that he could prove to the world and to his mom and to his dad that his strength had nothing to do with Jehovah. Go ahead, cut it off. I'll just pretend I'm sleeping. And then it's all gone. The hair's gone. The Philistines are upon you. And they come in, all of a sudden, he has the strength of just a normal man. And they take him out. They take him out, and they gouge out his eyes. The man who could not see spiritually is now physically blinded, and now the truth is known. He's forced to walk in circles as he grinds the grain day after day after day as he pushes for the millstone. He had plenty of time to think. He had plenty of time to repent. He had plenty of time to get his act together. And while he's walking, the most incredible thing happened. His hair began to grow back. And more, and more, and more. The power was not in the hair. The power was in his dedication to the vow of being a Nazarite. Set apart, dedicated to the cause of God. So there he is. And now there's a special day to the Philistines, a celebration to this guy named Dagon, some pagan god. And here Samson is brought before 3,000 Philistines that they may mock and curse him. See, this was a very common practice. Instead of killing the king or the judge or your enemy, you make them alive so you can let everybody else in the region know how great and mighty you are, and they could see there's that living, dead king. He lives only because I let him live. See how great and powerful I am? I'm the Philistines. So they bring him. To mock him before their pagan god, Dagon. And so this young little boy is responsible to be Samson's nanny. And to take him wherever he needs to go. But he's been there before. He has seen all of the structural points of this temple. He knows what keeps it all together. Where the load is. And he says... 
hey, 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 take me over because I want to rest my arms up. And the boy takes them, puts them right against these two pillars, the pillars that hold everything up. And he prays. In Judges chapter 16, verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. He has learned to be Subject to God. He's learned to be submitted to God, to honor God. Yet he still is stuck with revenge in his heart. That I could get revenge for my eyes. In spite of that, I think God was going to use him because he wanted his people free. Samson prioritized personal pleasure over purpose. Samson was special. God had planned and a, had a plan and a purpose for his life. And all he had to do was just fulfill it. He determined that being gifted, that being talented, made him superior, that it gave Samson the right to break all the rules, that he was the exception. Samson didn't become humble or more humble because of God's favor in his life like Moses. No, Samson became more arrogant, became a true narcissist. Samson refused to listen to anyone. He didn't listen to his parents. He didn't listen to his Nazarite vow. He didn't listen to God. One of the interesting things about Samson is you study him is that he has no real friends. He's probably the best known person in all of the Israelites. He's the judge. He doesn't have any friends. At his own wedding, he has to borrow 30 friends to be groomsmen? You're a judge. We're your friends. He lived in isolation. He just worried about his personal pleasures. And Samson goes to hide in the cave because of what he did in burning the fields. There were no friends with him there. There was no mom and dad in the cave with him. Samson refused to listen to anyone's advice unless it was in agreement with what he had already thought. See, Samson lived for Samson. He didn't care about anyone except himself. He was a narcissist. He used his gifts of strength to pursue his own pleasure. Samson was all about Samson. God had given him the gift of strength, and he used it to glorify Samson. So here is a challenging question or questions for us all today. What am I doing with the gifts that God has given me? What are you doing with the gifts God's given you? Am I using them for personal benefit, for prestige, 
for power, for fame? Am I even using the gifts God's given me? Over the course of his lifetime, Samson became so focused on himself that he continually walked away from God. There's no remorse. There was no God conscience. There was no respect for others. Time and time again, Samson took his divine gifts for granted as though he was entitled, as though if he deserved his great gift. Remember that Samson had traveled so far away from God that he didn't even realize when the Spirit of God had left him. When he got up from that bed and his head was shaved, he didn't even realize God left him. I'm talking to you, Christian. You've been a Christian for decades, if not for a lifetime. You remember when you first had that divine encounter with God? It was so powerful. It was like, it was beyond real. Where, where is it at today? Can you even figure out when it left? Or has it increased? See, our pride is what causes us to go backwards. God hasn't moved. I have. How about you? God always wanted Samson to have the gift, but he had to remove it for a while so that he could actually see, even though physically blind that he could actually hear, that he could actually be used with the gift that God had purposed for him. And God can do the same with you and with me. Samson had traveled so far away from God that he didn't even realize when the Spirit of God left him that Letting the enemy shave his head, removing his vow to God meant nothing to Samson. I'm going to close with this thought. With this thought. After Adam and Eve ate the apple, God asked Adam, Where are you, Adam? Do you think God had any idea where Adam was? I'm sorry, that little... Bush isn't good enough to hide from God. Do you think he was asking for his physical location inside the Garden of Eden? Or do you think that maybe he's saying, Hey, Adam! Why is there such a distance between you and me? Where are you? Why are you not close to me? Gave him the gift of the garden. And so maybe, for some of us, the question is, God's giving you a great gift, Christian. But maybe God's asking, where are you? 
because I don't see you close to me. I see that you are far and hiding from me. 